Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 15 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. This is Phil Stevens. I'm well, powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I run Lift for Hope. I own Strength Guild and uh, USSF. So today with us, we have Dal Gaines. Dal, thanks for joining us. Hey, no problem. Thank you, guys. I think we're going to get to a little news before we talk to you, but... Uh... What do, what do you want to go with first, Lonnie? The winners or, uh, or the yeah, let's, yeah? Let's do the the summer contest first and make that a wrap. There were some impressive entries. It sounds like yeah, there's a ton of them, a bunch of injuries out there. But um, basically, there were two that stood out. Like one of them was like, okay, everybody just needs to not even sign up now. But um, <laughs> they're both pretty, <laughs> right. both pretty brutal injuries. I mean, and, and that's not me saying. I mean, I've blown biceps and stuff like that. There's a lot of those on there, but uh, compared to these two, those are like nicks and scratches. So. Um, the first one is Brian Sauls. If I mess your guys' names up, it's not my fault. I mean, I'm just uh, – names are kind of hard. Anyways, Brian lost his left leg below the knee about six years ago in a car wreck. Mm. At the time, he was 6'3", 230, had a couple good years under his belt of training. Um, so anyways, he came, and he – you know, even while he was on crutches after the surgery, uh, while, his, while he healed up and got his prosthetic, he, he kept training upper body. Um, he dropped down to about 190. Um, and then it took about two years before he trained uh, his legs again. He can't really squat with a bar on his back because I still can't get my balance. But uh, mm-hmm. he's gotten back to a 375 deadlift, and he squats wow. with the Smith machine 275 for reps. Um, do a lot of trap bar deadlifting stuff like that. He's back up to 230 now, and he's getting his body weight down or body fat down. Basically, stronger than he's ever been, and his leg doesn't slow slow him down. So. He uh, wanted to put himself out there as one of the people. He put up some pictures, and yeah, he's in great shape. So fantastic, um, Brian! Congrats! And uh, absolutely, way to, yeah, way to not let something get you down. So hey, well, um, if you can, Brian, when you listen to this, if you can just uh, send an email uh, through ironradio.org, you can send it to Rob, and he'll get it to me, um, or even just directly to me, Lawnman Seven at Hotmail dot com, and we'll get you some cool stuff for being the champion you are. Well, there you go. And oddly enough, the other person is a Brian, too. You guys have bad luck. Um, Brian was a uh, a client of mine when this, ha- when this happened, actually. I remember getting the, uh, the text or the call. But uh, Brian lost half his foot in an accidental uh, industrial accident. So he had something land on his foot, and they ended up taking it pretty much at at the ankle almost, you know, mm. meaning straight down, like the whole front half of his foot. Yeah. So he like has the metatarsals heel. down. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, so, and I know Brian just came back and he lifted in his first powerlifting tournament since. So he has a special insert in his shoe, and he, he's still kicking ass, man. And he's starting his own gym now. Um, right on. So he's got that rolling. I think they're just moving into a, a facility out of his garage into a facility. So. Brian, I want to give a shout out to you. I mean, awesome, the dude. two Brians are the ones who uh, definitely, uh, above all, stood out in this competition. The so. summer winners, nice. Yeah. 
Congratulations. All right. Well, those are great examples. I mean, that's exactly what I think I was hoping for. You know, because with all the injuries and the stuff that that we have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we're fussing about it and just trying to stay positive, retool, regoal, set, yes. and all that sort of stuff. Those guys take it to the limit. So, you know, credit where it's due. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, some other credit where it's due real quick. I wanted to say thank you to Kevin. I, I need to be better about thanking people who – uh, send donations. So, Kevin, you know who you are. Uh, guys like you, you make the show possible. I mean, you keep the lights on and pay the servers and all that sort of thing. So, much appreciated. Uh, number two, I've been tweeting this week about this a little bit, but... Strength and Muscle Sport News. Uh, I, As a stopgap measure, I ran out of my usual uh, whey protein, and I grabbed some off the shelf at Target. You know, just because my wife and I actually both rely on whey protein. And um, I get home and I'm looking at the label, and there's actually cellulose gum in it. And we've been talking about this in past months on the show, but there's a lot of negative press. In fact, I I did a little educational webinar thing uh, through some science channels this summer about how some of these emulsifiers, right, like polysorbate 80 and carboxymethylcellulose – they're added to different dairy products to help them mix and that sort of thing. And unfortunately, they're linked to obesity and inflamed gut and a whole bunch of problems, uh, even though they're generally recognized as safe. So we've been talking about that in past weeks, but damn it if it's not in my target whey protein. So it just blows me away that some of these things that have been linked, you know, we'll call them preservatives or whatever you will, additives, they're in health foods. You know, so it's no wonder there's definitely that sect of people who are like, listen, I don't want to overdo the powders and the pills and the bars, and I just want to eat food. You know, stuff stuff with less than five ingredients in it, so to speak. So, uh, careful when you buy your whey proteins. Uh, you know, be looking for that stuff, like the cellulose gum or that polysorbate eighty. Um, it's just enough to piss you off, you know, because apparently it has a negative effect on the mucus in your gut and. And then the bad bacteria get down near your intestinal wall. Just anyway, even in your even in, in your supplements. Next up, and I thought I'd get your guys' opinion on this too. I don't know how what kind of sleeves you guys use, but twice now I have bought uh, Mueller elbow sleeves. Iron Game product review. Are you guys familiar with these things? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. The first one I got actually blew out. I popped a seam within two weeks, and I'm like, okay, maybe that was a lemon. So I got another one, and I, admittedly, I think I've had this thing for maybe, I don't know, six or eight months, and it popped a seam too. Um, it, I wear a large, so it, mm-hmm. it's the right size. I mean, you've got to get the right compression. Of course, my hand's not turning blue, but nor is it loose, you know. But um, I'm going to give it like a 7 out of 10 in the review uh, I, I like it. It's long enough. You know, it it feels good because my right elbow is pr- pretty screwed. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the long-term story of that I'll save for another day. But what do you guys think about the Mueller sleeves? Should I expect these to hold up more than six or eight months? Or or uh, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, from what I've seen, no, you shouldn't. Okay. I mean, I think there's uh, they're on the lower end from what I've seen of sleeves out there. There's a lot of choices now. I mean, I have my clear choice but that's because i'm also in <laughs> i i make them so well i'm just gonna get i'm just gonna get a bunch from you phil because this <laughs> so, is yeah um uh but no i mean there's tons of them out there like you know like i say mark bell has his set of sleeves now um 
and how everybody did from from Mark to Elite Fitness carry sleeves to and I think the ones you're going to see made directly towards powerlifting is what I'd go with because they're a lot tougher. I well, mean, well, now I don't want though I don't want something like super thick and heavy no, these necessarily. Aren't. I mean, these are just like a neoprene neoprene. Sleeve. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but I, you know, all of those are built with higher demands in mind than something you go to Dick's and pick up that is built for the average person. You know, yeah. Mueller doesn't have you going in doing tons of sets of bench in mind. It has the person walking around trying to keep their elbow warm and being healthy in daily life in mind. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, it was only $7. I grabbed it at exactly. the gym, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, honestly, for 7 bucks, can you expect more than six months? See, that's what I'm thinking, no. too, right? <laughs> Maybe I had unrealistic hope for, you know, yeah. this should last as long as my lifting belt or something, you know. And that's like my when I buy deadlift slippers. They're like nine ninety nine, and I know... Before the year's up, I'm going to be buying another pair. Yeah, yeah. It, you get what you pay for. So, and they did their job while they before yeah. they popped a seam. You know. Yeah. So, all right. So, um, there's a review. We haven't done those much on the show, but uh, next is a listener question, and I can read this, and you guys can both weigh in because Dale, I know that you're uh, into powerlifting big time, and it's not just the boxing stuff. Um, not to mention, I'm sure there's weight gain and weight loss involved in all of this stuff, all these sports. Hi, I love the Iron Radio show. I'm a female powerlifter, and I've been participating in local competitions for years. Uh, through wisdom from your show and reading articles from Eat to Perform, I only recently figured out that to improve my lifting performance, I shouldn't be constantly eating at a calorie deficit for over five years. Duh. I just finished my first bulking gaining phase. I gained only seven pounds in eight weeks but gained almost 60 pounds on my powerlifting total. Uh, at 139 uh, pounds, that's a sizable gain for me. But I came across two problems. First, how do I eat that much? I work at a fast-paced job where I get a quick 30 minutes for lunch in between patients, and I have to scrape together two to five minutes between clock in and lunch to grab a snack. I can usually snack toward the end of the day when I do paperwork. I prefer to eat healthy foods, like from the healthy eating list in a recent episode and not have very much processed foods, including gainers or even a lot of protein powders. I, I like to stick to less than two servings of protein powder a day. Geez, after what I saw this past week, that might be a good idea. They're not all created equally. Let's see. And I get the rest from a healthy diet, plenty of tuna and shredded chicken. Any suggestions for how I can eat enough to gain more muscle when I only really get time to eat at breakfast and from 4 p.m. to when I go to bed. Uh, I work out in the evening as well, so that also limits eating time and carbohydrate timing. Okay, so one is about sneaking in the calories. Mm -hmm. Second, sometimes when you guys talk about gaining periods, then leaning out, you mention big numbers. You give examples of a 200-pound guy going up to 250, then back down to 225 or something. It doesn't work that way for women. I know you know that. Women don't gain muscle as quickly and uh, have a higher fat-to-muscle ratio gained during those bulking periods. Do you recommend that women gain and even lean out for longer or shorter periods of time? How do these nutritional periods differ for us ladies? Thanks for considering my question. You guys are awesome. K. Yeah. This is a fun one for me but because um, I deal with it a lot because uh, my gym is like 60% women at least now. It was at one point like 80%. And, I mean, I'm even dealing with this with uh, 
Dallas future wife. So okay. congratulations, by the way, on the engagement. We'll, we'll do that on air here, too. Um, <laughs> um, God, uh, I'm going to go for number two first. Okay. And then we can work on sneaking in. Yeah, I think it's different. Of course it's different. When we're talking like somebody like me, when I'm looking to beat, you know, break new ground at 250, it's not going to be five or ten pounds a game. You know, that's that's like a dinner. So yeah. with, with somebody like me, if I were my client, it'd be, okay, we're going to gain 20, 25 pounds. Um, and then we're going to hold on to that. Of course, with a smaller person, you know, you're working with ladies in the 100 to 130-pound range. That's going to half or, or right. more. So, it's relative. I mean, probably be, yeah, it's relative. To, you know, if we put 25 pounds on you, that is very substantial. That's like 20% of your body. Right. That damn right. <laughs> um, so you know, with, with ladies in the smaller weight classes, I like going for like 10 pounds because that's substantial. I mean, it's almost 10%. And we'll hang on to that for a while. You know, so, okay, our goal, we're going to gain 10 pounds. And now we're going to hang on to that for at least, I mean, my minimum is three months that I like people to hang on to that because – I just hate the whole yo-yo thing. Okay, I gained 10 pounds. I need to lose it right away. And then you end up being pretty much right back where you started. So let's say we put on 10 pounds. Now we keep that for three months. Now we reassess. That doesn't mean we automatically go back down. We may jump up again, you know. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's longer periods of time. Just like she said, I mean, in general, if we're talking women, uh, they do gain muscle slower. I mean, they don't have the, the hormonal profiles we do. Sure, yeah. So what, what we can do in three months as men is usually less than what women can do in three months as far as building muscle and sometimes not getting stronger. I mean, I have girls that get much stronger in that period of time, but as far as putting on lean mass, so um, we might end up holding that 10 pounds for six months you know, right. to try and make it more right. solid. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I'd do is just now that you've gained that, Let's hang on to it for a while. Don't go right into your cutting phase. You gained a substantial amount to your total. You know, like you said, you added 60 pounds to your powerlifting total. If you hang on to that 139 for another three or four months, you know, you've done it eight weeks now. So now it took you eight weeks to get up there. Now let's hold it for 12 weeks right. and see where you get. And seven pounds in eight weeks, that's pretty good. I mean, yeah, you know. Exa- yeah, that's, that's really not bad good. at all. Um, so, I mean, I'd hang on to that. And let's see where your total can go from there. And let's see how comfortable you get at that body weight. Let's see what your size does. Women have this real problem about they get very attached to the scale and not so much about how their clothes are fitting. You know, Phil, I think that's where the maintenance period – and again, I think we should be clear. I don't think there's a ton of scientific literature, if any – about how long you should hold a new body weight before your set point sort of adjusts the way you want it to. You know, whether you're going up or down. And this idea of recomposing – um, that's just something I think we've all agreed on, but it's more of an experiential thing, Yes, you know, yeah, I agree. but it, it's yeah, also it's... psychological. If you can, especially with women, right, that if mm-hmm. you're not comfortable carrying the extra body fat, and there's a lot of guys like that too, giving yourself six months at the new body fat level is also psychologically helpful, yeah. I think, because you get more comfortable, you know, being a little softer. I mean, you're in a bulking oh, yeah. phase. I was actually talking last night. I'm away home from the gym. I was talking to Dal about this. It was like in the last two weeks, I've had like eight people come up to me and they're like, man, you've lost a lot of, a ton of weight. You're looking good. But in my head, it's, it's them saying, dude, you're getting small. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's like, shit, I need to gain again. They're trying to compliment you. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're trying to compliment me. And I'm like, man, I'm getting, I'm a twink. I'm 250. <laughs> I'm <a> twink. So, <laughs> Um, yeah. And with women, it's the opposite. I mean, I need to, like, market a scale that just lies to you. Like, I can punch in 120, and no matter what you weigh, you always say, hey, hey you're there 120. You go. There you go. You know, it just always tells them what they want to hear. 
because it really in the end it doesn't matter and that's it's hard getting that across to women that what that scale says doesn't doesn't mean beans you know yeah doesn't matter especially when you're talking sports when you're talking powerlifting it doesn't it doesn't matter you know right. what we're worried about is how much weight you're putting up relative to that to that number and if you gained i mean you damn near gained 10 pounds per pound of body right weight on your, yep so i mean that's yep. a, a significant jump so i would have you hold that if you were my client you know i'd put you in the 142 class and we'd rock it for a while you know? there you go okay and we'd reassess later and maybe we drop down to 132 you know, if if that's what you want to do after and trying to hang on to that new strength, but it depends on your build and everything else. I mean, most of my girls that have been doing powerlifting for a while have moved up to they're somewhere in between the sixty five and uh, the forties weight class, and it's just mm-hmm. it just happens mm-hmm. unless they're small. Like uh, Whitney, she's not a big person. You know, <laughs> she yeah. would be huge at one forty two. But uh, she would kill you at one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pissed. But uh you know, so it just depends and and Justin's wife, you know, she's gonna compete at like one thirty two. Right, right. Just petite. They're tiny. They're, yeah. yeah, they're tiny. So it depends on your build. I don't see any problem in any woman getting up to one forty. I mean, that's not big. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And you we know, can always come back down. You alluded to the idea of how it's I think you gotta monitor, like, how is it coming on? How are you gaining? You know, too. Yeah. Because if you if it's just jiggly slop right in the front of your belly, then maybe yeah. you're doing something wrong. You know, uh, and you want you might want to reassess, like hold, go back to maintenance phase for a while, and you know, sort of reassess as opposed to like with her, her numbers are clearly going up. I mean, case yes. numbers, like you said, it's almost t- you know ten pounds of performance per pound of weight gain. Yes, um, that sounds good to me. I think she's doing something mm-hmm. right. Actually, I can guarantee you if you're hitting that kind of numbers, then you're gaining muscle. You just are, and if you watch that and watch your size, you know, I mean. You're still fitting into these clothes, or you're one size up. Well, who cares? You know, right now, yep. if all of a sudden you gain four sizes, well, we got problems. We got to do something different. Yeah, but I would, I would work off that, and I'd hang on to what you just gained for at least twelve more weeks, and then reassess from there and see how your body changes. Take some measurements and see where that tape goes, because usually what you'll see is it's going to come off places you want it to come off, and it's going to go on places you want it to go on, just by maintaining that body weight and training. Of course, you got to keep training hard, right? But there's even that sort of visual thing. I mean, powerlifting bodybuilder coaches, either one would be able to see. I mean, the tape measure is great because it's objective numbers. Mm-hmm. But if you're getting thicker through your deltoids, you know, like yes. you can see a lot of muscularity in a, a woman's deltoids, you mm-hmm. know. And like you said, you might it might not be as noticeable in their legs, but their their numbers are going to go up. But like yeah. you'll see, like at least in my experience, you'll see the upper arms, like the upper chest, the deltoids. If those are getting thicker, more muscular, that's those are places that women who don't lift, they don't really yes. look very impressive at all. And the and people, the women who do lift, you could start to see it sort of accrete there, you know, build there. And you know, you know from what I've seen, especially with the way women's cut clothes are. Is yeah, if you start getting tighter on your shoulders and your 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 freaking quads and butt are busting out of your yoga pants, we're doing good things. Yeah, you know? yeah, you can't expect your um, quads to start looking muscular and ripped. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, you know, as you add mass there, or, or like a roundness of the butt instead of sort of the wide flat butt. That's yeah. that that's glute muscle. That's mass yes. you're building there. You know exactly. And I mean, but I think she's got it right. I mean, seven to ten pounds for somebody her size, and then hang on to it, and then give yourself that ninety days. Or, uh, of of hanging on to it and then do an honest reassessment and that honest reassessment might be also somebody else looking at you because your eyes lie to you, you know? that's <laughs> and right. that's where I like bringing the tape in and pictures yep, yep. And, and your clothing size 
Yeah. So, and of course, your total, your total is already and heading in a really good direction. So, um, uh, yeah, that's what I do. If I address the, her first question here before we go to break, um, how do I eat that much? Because again, you know, quick thirty minutes at lunch, you know, two to five minutes scraping stuff together and that sort of thing. What I found over the years, this is both working with collegiate athletes and just, uh, you know, lone ranger, powerlifter, bodybuilder types, but portable food, right? So purse snacks, gym bag snacks, stuff that you can put in your pocket. I mean, uh, proteins spoil, and that's a problem. I think that's why powders, I know she doesn't want to overdo them. Plus, you know... They're hard. I, it, believe it or not, I'm so fast-paced running up down, down the hall to the lab and to the classroom and this and that during the day that I literally don't even have time to go fill up a water jug and shake it. I mean, you might think, Lowry, that's ridiculous, but yeah. watch watch my day sometime and you'll see what I mean. You, you know, There's always another fire to put out, but ready-to-drinks are pretty cool. They don't have to be refrigerated. I just bought a bunch of you know muscle milk, whatever, stuff like jerky in your pocket. You know what I mean? You can't let yourself go for like six hours. Okay, if you're anything like I am, uh, sometimes I'll look at my clock and be like, damn it, I haven't eaten for six hours. And that just kind of pisses you off. Maybe it's partly in the back of your mind, like you were saying, Phil, that, oh my God, I'm getting small. You know, yeah. it's time for protein. Uh, yeah. But portable snacks can be good. Those little packets, like I said, literally something she could put in her pocket if she's running around and just knock back some of those full fat granolas or like uh, trail mixes. That's healthy calories, yep. but loaded, yep. loaded with calories. And I think that's the kind of thing you want. Mixed nuts, dried fruit, because when they dry those fruits down, you know, the, of course, the water leaves, and it just concentrates all those calories and nutrients. And so, and you can get those in individual packets. And, I mean, it might sound kind of gross. It's going to get a little warm, but stick it in your pocket. It's not going to spoil, you know, uh, in the car and stuff like that. To and from work, I keep a, a box of cereal something healthy something that you want like on diet but again calorie rich and mm -hmm. put that between the seats of the car again or a big bag of granola there's a hundred different kinds of granola tropical and cajun and this and that and the other but yeah. stuff like trail mix and boxes of cereal um in the car you've got to plant things you should leave stuff mm -hmm. all over so you can plunge your hand into a box of something like cereal or like i said a trail mix uh, that kind of stuff. I would say stuff like cheese sticks, but again, uh, some of these things, dairy products, you know, proteins spoil after three mm -hmm. or four hours when they're warm. So you got to think about how you're going to get in, uh, carry around a protein or keep something available that's not going to spoil. Yeah, but if she has any kind of fridge, I mean, even little cartons of milk, man, if she's not wanting to do processed food, get some whole milk containers and just down one, you know, a little pint or something. Right. You know, there's... For her size, that's going to be two or no, that's going to help too. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And one thing I used to do when I was in going through grad school and working and everything else was I'd cook ahead, like hamburger patties and chicken breasts. I'd freeze them, put them in Ziploc bags, and they just acted like their own ice cube. And by the time I needed to eat it, it was pretty much thawed out. Yeah, and clever packing. Yeah, yeah, I'd just cram that in my mouth and go. Yeah, you know, it's with a job like hers where you got two to five minutes, you can't be thinking gourmet. You have to be thinking necessity. And right. it's just like, I'm going to cram this hamburger pack hamburger in my mouth, and I'm going to roll, you know, because I got two minutes. You know what I'm going to get back to is uh, we go to Sam's Club and get uh, those, like, pre-cooked chicken breasts. I know they're more expensive because uh, you could do this just as well pre-prep. But they're sort of flavored. You know, there's different, like, mesquite and this and that. And, I mean, I can I can grab one of those. I can throw it in my um, lunch bag. And I'll just eat it like just it. It's not part of a meal. It's not part of anything. It's just protein coming in. 
you know, grab one and just annihilate it in like two minutes, you know. So, yeah, you're right, though. A fridge somewhere strategically, if you can, I don't know, that depends on how your work is. Um, but I could probably do that myself, put a mini fridge in my office instead of across mm-hmm. the hall by the water cooler and then just reach my hand in there and chug a, a yogurt or yeah. anything, you know. But drinking calories is usually the tricks, right? The high-calorie stuff like mixed nuts, dried fruit, portable snacks, drink the calories whenever you can. Um, my wife will do something clever. Will She'll um, she'll fill a protein jug you know, or a, a bottle like mostly full with ice cubes, in fact, almost to the top, and then she'll pour in the whey protein or whatever. And, of course, in this case, we could use some weight gainer or something. And mm-hmm. it usually lasts until about lunchtime. You know, it'll stay cold until lunchtime. The, the the risk of the spoilage is in liquid proteins, right, mm-hmm. because bacteria just grow in there like a Petri dish. So, um, you know, again, clever packing. You just got to think brainstorm ways, even Google portable snacks and see what you can come up with. Yeah. All right. So sorry for the long wait. Let's get to Dal before we do the break. At least yeah. the, the origin story. Exactly. Let's hear about the it. The origin story and stuff like that. So, I mean, basically what – we always lead off with is just kind of <clears throat> who you are and how you got started in in athletics in general. Okay, I uh, pretty much got the same story a lot of people do. Grew up playing, you know, baseball and football. Uh, was decent. Had D one offers or D one scholarships in high school until I got hurt, um, broken ankle in football. Uh, had Tommy John surgery on my elbow for baseball. That took me out for about two years, and then uh came back my senior year and took a line drive off the face had to have complete reconstructive surgery on the left side of my face and so that kind of took me out of baseball and then I wanted a passion for the gym still from all the sports so I kind of got into bodybuilding did it wrong for a long time just off magazines and then uh did my first bodybuilding show uh in November of 2014 or 2013 I'm sorry and Kind of had bad coaching and bad bad dieting and suffered a lot from it. Set me back pretty far. Uh, realized I wasn't, wasn't really built for it. I'm too wide-bodied in the stomach to have a big taper. And uh, then that's what kind of led me into powerlifting. And uh, did my first meet with Phil at his place. And then was second was Nationals. And then... Uh, Getting ready, getting ready for one again this 29th in August. You know, I've been training Phil on box, having boxing for about on and off for the last five years. Um, started out guns and hoses, which is firemen versus cops. So I was like, hell yeah, I'll go, go beat up a cop. <laughs> you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, that guy, I had really good trainers, um, Martin Foster and Randy Cole. Ended up doing decent, had went to nationals and won nationals uh so far my longest fight is under a minute so um, that makes it easy (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) and then it you know uh in the amateur circuit you kind of your name travels fast and i almost did myself a disservice by making the fight slash very short amount of time because nobody wanted to fight after that yeah and the next step was all right, we're going to go pro, and it's, you know, I work two jobs and going to school, and I'm like, I don't have time to put in on top of everything else. Yep. So then I started training, training guys, going and sparring, um, 
just so they could get ready for fights. Because, I mean, Phil, you probably found out having a different sparring partners mm-hmm. makes a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, just in that short time. So a good sparring partner is really hard to come come by. And then uh, I was actually training. I was supposed to do a tournament in Texas in uh, August next month. But uh went to my eye doctor, and he told me that if I took too much more trauma to my head, my left eye was going to probably uh, probably go blind in my left eye because it's the injury I had with baseball. And so now I just kind of, you know, fool around with it, train guys, and hopefully I don't get hit too hard. Pick up heavy things and put them down. And, I mean, I, I think <laughs> just for listeners, I think, uh, you know, Dal's underplaying himself a bit. So, you know, he's been doing powerlifting since. When was that first meet at our place? That February? Yeah, so February was his first powerlifting meet, and he's a very light 242-er, and we're looking at somewhere between a 1,900 and a 2,000-pound total. So Yeah, big numbers. At a second meet. So, right, right. Um, and then, you know, he has this very unique training style as far as boxing goes. Whenever I do something wrong, he just hits me in the face. So <laughs> <laughs> it's very effective. Deterrent, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it teaches you. Yeah, it teaches you. I that. wish I could do that. Yeah, <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> with people I work with, just hit them in the face. <laughs> but well, that's what's funny. I've heard you talk a few times about the first time we sparred, and yeah. it's you know you tell people to keep their hands up, and they think they have them up. Yes. Until you throw a real quick, hard, straight right. Yeah. And okay. yeah, it was great though. I mean, it's uh, you know, there's nothing that taught me faster than that. It's, no. Uh, no, so I mean, I figured it'd just be a good show before we get. I mean, your your background's so varied, and you've done well in multiple sports. So, um, no, I think I think we'll go to the topic of the day and, and roll from there. I think we we'll give a lot of good information. So, all right, we'll so- go to break and then we'll come back. All right. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press and Protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lonman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, Whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, 
Uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. We're back. We're going to hit a couple topics. I mean, it's mainly going to be focused around fighting sports and resistance training because we haven't uh, we haven't touched on that much, and Dal kind of has a uh, extensive background in it. So, um, the first thing I want to touch on is, you know, you see it in boxing, but you also see it in in MMA and any kind of fighting sports, uh, martial arts, things like that. It's the whole resistance to resistance training i guess is how we'd put it and usually it's 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 focused around this whole bodybuilding thing and they think you know people people think resistance training they think bodybuilding hypertrophy and getting huge mm-hmm. and that you're going to get locked up you're going to get slow um and that's kind of been the resistance in in, in boxing wouldn't you say though oh yeah it's uh it's almost population wise mm-hmm. like our athletes come from the middleweight population, so they see the bigger athletes, and they're usually slower. And so it kind of, oh, if I, if I work out, gain weight, I'll get slower. Yeah. If that makes sense. And that's like mm-hmm. you were talking about off the show. I mean, there's a big difference in how I train somebody like Justin, who's trying to step on stage in bodybuilding, and how I train Peyton, who is a, you know, basically he just won best pitcher in Kansas. Mm-hmm. It's it's night and day the differences and yeah. it's training them for their sport. You know I'm not going to lock down a boxer or a pitcher, and we're going to train them for sure some hypertrophy work, but it's mainly max strength and explosive right specificity. And build, yeah, you know, yeah. and that's what people forget. I think as far as resistance training is more than just getting big. I mean if if boxing or if, if resistance training made you big and slow, then sprinters would not do any resistance training. And the fact is that if I bring bring your squad up, usually you're going to be faster if all things are held equal. Yeah. And the same thing could be said in boxing. I mean, force force equals mass times acceleration. So I mean, yeah. The, I mean, the faster you can move a heavy object, the harder you're going to hit something. Yeah. That's, so I mean, basically, what would you what would you suggest as far as boxers and, and resistance training? With resistance training, the real big thing is most guys think they either have to box or resistance train like they can't do both or initiate both because one's going to hurt the other and it's a lot about staying mobile and loose and boxing and kind of the opposite and and lifting so you kind of got to mold the two while you're resistance training you have to keep boxing or else you're gonna become rigid and tight and lose your almost like the groove you get into when you're boxing because it's a Lifting is such a slow and it has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, weightlifting teaches you to ex- your muscles to explode, which is transfers over to the punch. Yeah. 
It sounds like especially so, with you, doesn't it? I mean, didn't you say all all of your uh, when you're in the ring, you're in there for a very brief period. It just su- suggests to me that you're so explosive and powerful that you're just putting people down very quickly. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it is, and it's learning how to. You you can't just lift and then go box and expect to be good. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of transfer over that you have to do. Learning how to transfer weight through your hips with the power you've already developed in squatting. So, I mean, a lot of that's learning how to use your own body with the mass and strength that you have. Being able to get out of your own way. And that's the one thing that I've been able to rate, relate to boxing was my, my time doing in throwing. And exactly. I think it's a lot the same. Because, I mean, shot putters are some of the biggest, well, high-level shot putters are some of the biggest masses of humanity I've met in my life. <laughs> you know, you're talking yeah. guys that are 6'4", 350, mm-hmm. and literally what they do is they very explosively throw something that weighs 16 pounds. Yet these guys are like, they're benching 400 for reps. They're squatting, you know, six for reps. And, wow. you know, if it made them slow and not explosive, they wouldn't do it. So, I mean, it's it, they just learn how to transfer that power. And, you know, I guess the biggest thing for me and that, that'd be the next question I was going to ask you is, okay, so how do you take somebody that's a strength athlete like myself and turn them into a boxer? And from what I've seen is just like what you said. I mean, my background, and it was the same in throwing, is being massively tight, you know, learning how to mm-hmm. turn yourself into a big con- big hunk of concrete and iron yep. uh, to fight load. And, you know, we get in there and spar, and I'm tight. And I'm wearing myself out. So it's, it's te- teaching somebody like myself how to loosen up and, and use that, that load they have and generate everything from the hip and be explosive. So, yeah. I mean, what would be, let's, let's tell people who are listening, you know, what are the first steps of taking somebody from, say, a bodybuilding background or a resistance training background into something like fighting? Um, it's really starting with the basics. I mean, and that's with everything. It's just like if you go into Olympic lifting, you got to start with the basics. We're going to start out with footwork, and it's getting used to being on your toes and out of out of out of your heels. You know, which everything and and resistance is through your heels or the middle of your foot. And boxing's all toes, and it's learning to transfer weight, you know, from one foot to the other. So there's a lot of drills that you do. Like I had you start out doing those punching drills, which mm-hmm. is just an easy step. Yeah, and it's. Getting, getting the step down and then getting the step and the punch down. And then it's almost like you have to retrain neurologically what to do at the same time. Mm-hmm. I need to punch, step, turn, every punch. Yeah. And so it's it's starting out with those easy things, and then it's getting on like a heavy bag and just learning to throw speed. Because speed, you can't throw power. Yeah, You have to stay loose. And so then once somebody gets to where they can throw a fast punch, then you start teaching them transferring your hips you know throwing that dialed in power like it's because a punch is a snap so it's learning when to throw your weight at the end of the punch and that's we haven't really gotten to that yet that's that's a hard hard thing to learn because you usually think when you want to throw hard you you try and that's the last thing you want to do you want to try to throw hard you just want to throw fast and then throw your hips in it and you're Put your weight down and put your weight behind the punch, and that's what carries it through. And like I said, I mean, going back to throwing, I I related to the same thing, and it's, it's hard to learn. The minute I'm in Highland Games and, like, say I'm throwing hammer, the minute I try and throw really hard, 
I lose like 25 feet off my throw. Mm-hmm. It's when I yeah. loosen up and just try and throw <laughs> that it, uh, you know, things happen, happen correct. And that's how I related to boxing. I mean, that's like sparring Mark, um, who's basically, he's my, Dal is my, I'm going to get my butt kick sparring partner. And uh, Mark is my, okay, I'm going to get in condition sparring partner. He's like this really big walking punching bag. So it's pretty awesome for me. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it was the minute I, I started throwing things fast, you know, and quit worrying about power that the, the thing started to come in right. You know, Phil, even with, uh, you know, in bodybuilding, it's not quite as maybe as tense like you you said, like a big block of concrete, you know, to mm. fight, you know, the weight. But you're still constantly tensing. Uh, I went to a – and I don't know if this sounds familiar to Dal at all, but it sounds very much to me like what you guys have been saying is I went to a kendo seminar. Uh, it was about two years ago. And there was these there were real high level, you know, uh, black belt guys from Japan over, and they were they were instructing everybody. And he came over, and he's no, look at your face, you know, Arr! you know, like he's trying to he's in his broken English, you know, he's he's telling me that I'm trying so hard throughout the whole swing, and he's trying to explain to me that it's almost like fly fishing, you know, it's light, 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 squeeze, light, 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 yeah. squeeze, you know, and mm-hmm. it's. Uh, there's a moment – maybe we're just talking about the difference between constant tension and athleticism, you know, because you can yes. argue that bodybuilders and powerlifters might not – they're not always the most athletic. Some are. Um, but I think there's a difference there with the timing and everything, you know. Well, and I mean, wouldn't you say – I mean, this is what I've noticed is – I mean, there's a reason that I did fairly well in Highland Games right off the bat once I loosened up. I have all this excess power. And if, if I just loosen up – I mean, let's take some. Let's say somebody has a two guys are the same size. One has a 500 pound squat and a 400 pound bench press. The other dude's like squatting 315 and benching 225. If everything's held equal, if you get the bigger or the stronger guy to just loosen up and throw fast, he's naturally going to use more power. Yeah, if you can, because he's strong. If you can get him to do it, so yeah. his fast punch is going to carry more than the the weaker guy's fast punch, just because he's he's moving. His, his light fast is just more powerful. Right. Everything in his life is a joke compared to what he's yeah. possible, his maximum, you know. But yeah. the hard part is learning to loosen the hell up. I mean, that's, yeah, that's it's hard. Point. It's really, I guess that was my point, right? Is after yeah. all those years of lifting weights, it was really hard to re educate myself to stay loose until the opportune moment, you know. But And that's been, I mean, basically so far in my resistance training has switched, and it's been a hard switch for me because, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I love like heavy singles. And grinding shit out. It's the way I've <laughs> yeah. always lifted, mm-hmm. yeah. and I don't feel right. So my switch has been, okay, everything's going to be speed. So it's like, okay, we're squatting 375 today, and we're going fast. And, you know, it's just trying to generate that power. And then, of course, for somebody like me that, like, five reps is cardio, it's been all this stupid-ass yeah. conditioning work. But, I mean, <laughs> I, actually find it, <laughs> I actually find it sadistically enjoyable except for the stupid jump rope and it's nothing to do it's not the work of the jump rope it's it's my my feet because basically i'll get going it's like oh good i've done 25 in a row and then i hit my feet and it's like i'm not wore out i just hit my stupid feet and it stops me and it's frustrating yeah Um, yeah so hey can i ask uh dal how do you switch back and forth then i mean if if phil you know phil and i are talking about trying to re-educate you're you're good at both. I mean, you have big numbers in powerlifting. Do you find it hard to switch back and forth from the the tension to the loose athleticism? Yeah, it's it takes me probably probably five good sparring sessions to finally get to where I'm loose again. And it, it's really me just getting my 
ass kicked by people because I'm <laughs> too freaking tired yeah. from being tight the whole time that I finally, all right, I need to loosen up rather than, because it's usually I go in there and spar people and they want a hard session. Mm-hmm. And so it's, all right, I need to need to throw hard punches at this guy so he gets ready and then all of a sudden I'm tired. Yeah. And so it, it take. I mean, it's, it's challenging, but it's, it's doable. I mean, it's cool. just like, it's just like transferring from Olympic lifting to, uh, powerlifting. Mm-hmm. It's just knowing when to be loose. Yeah. And I'd say, I mean, as, as you're coaching powerlifting, I say one of the things we've battled then is, is getting the amount of tightness we need. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when he comes back to that side, it's like, no, okay, man, we need to tighten up, you know, and just, just finding that, that oddly just insane amount of tightness that, that yeah. keeps somebody. So if it's constant, I would imagine it would be exhausting as hell, right? I mean, I've heard that like MMA athletes, they actually try to expend as little energy as possible until it's time, you know, because oh, yeah. otherwise you're just, yeah, you're so tense. I can only imagine everything is so maximal again, like that, you know, effort that you're just exhausted. And the other guy's just floating around because he's not wasting so much energy, you know? Yeah. Oh, I've never had like our first sparring session. I've never had a shoulder workout that was harder. Just because I was so freaking tight and hold my hands up, mm-hmm. you know, and everything's flexed. Tense. And, yeah. Yeah. 20 minutes yeah. in, I'm like, I'm done. I can't hold my freaking hands <laughs> right. up. Because I just, I wasn't just holding them there. You know, I'm tight and, you know, keeping keeping everything flexed, I guess. Um, just just from my background. And, you know, I think I've done a little better over the, the sessions with Mark. But now I haven't sparred in like eight weeks because of my hip surgery. But, um you know, so it's yeah. That's the, the the biggest thing for me is that that looseness and and speed because powerlifting speed, it, it's fast. Yeah, but it's fast against still. You know, your seven hundred pound squatter, you're still going fast against five hundred and something. Right, lots of tension. It's a lot different. Yeah, you know, it's it's learning that I need to go insanely fast, like Olympic lifting fast, um, or even faster. So, um, that's that's the tough part, and then of course the conditioning, but. Luckily, I'm a big guy, so I'm hoping that my rounds are like like Dallas, but right. <laughs> well, a minute or two. That's the other part is is uh, fighting styles. I mean, your fighting style is going to be a lot different than a taller, longer, more endurance type guy. Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna you're gonna fight like me, where you're gonna use your power, and we're gonna get inside yeah. and do damage. Yeah, it's you want to hurt them as fast as possible. And then take their air away, you yeah. know, and then it's even. And so that's that's what a lot of people forget. They think boxing is just one, one form. Yeah. There's only one way to do it. When there's so many different techniques. I mean, you look at Mike Tyson. That guy's heavily muscled, mm-hmm. and he would just knock people out, get inside, knock people out. And then you got Muhammad Ali, who's tall and long, and can just outlast everybody. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's right. it's learning your body type and your style. I imagine your training would sort of reflect that too, right? I mean, yeah, you know, both your strengths and your weaknesses. Like if Phil's powerful, he might want to work on some muscular endurance, but he'd also want to emphasize that power so he could just get in and blast somebody, you know, put him down yeah. fast. Yeah, so instead of being out running miles, he's going to be doing intervals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that's what his fighting style is going to be like. Like that stupid sled I've been pushing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I think the other one, the other one for me is, and I don't. This is, I think, it's a lot to do with my background in powerlifting, but I think it's also due to my injuries, which we have to face too. It's um, not just standing up like Frankenstein. 
Mm-hmm. So it's getting it's getting down, and you know I have the same problem in 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 throwing, is that if you're going to generate power from the hips, you can't just be standing tall. Whereas in lifting, everything is about full extension. You know, basically I'm at full extension. I need to return to that as quickly as possible. It's learning to to get down some and be able to use your hips. So I mean, you're in a slightly crouched position on your toes, whereas the rest of my life has been, I'm way back on my heels. I'm at full extension. Okay, I'm going to bend down and I'm going to get back to full extension as quickly as possible and as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. So, learning to harness the power I know that I have. Yeah. You know, because right now, I mean, everything has been a long lift for me is what three seconds? Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. one time. So, um, single effort. Yeah. Yeah. Single effort. And, you know, I, I got to learn how to use that power and, and, and put it out there in multiple repetitions. And I guess, I mean, the hardest part for me, like going against somebody like Dow when we spar is that he automatically knows when to throw a punch. Yes. He can make a, a millionth of a second decision when he sees me do something wrong. Whereas I see something wrong and then, oh, I need to throw a punch. And then that, that opportunity has gone. Right. (laughs) It's already passed. That sounds like just novice, like learning curve though. Yeah. It'd be like somebody, like if I took up tennis all of a sudden and some pro served at me and I'm like, oh, the ball's going to my right. I need to go over there. Oh, it's already passed. You know, you have to be able to react in a a millisecond. Even anticipate. Yes. Oh, he's going to drop his arm. Bam. And you got to be, that punch already has to be going when that arm's dropped. So, um, and I don't have any of that. It's just, it's mental. There's a big mental game to it, too. And I guess the one that I actually passed was getting punched in the face um, and seeing what the hell I'd do. Because you you work with a lot of these power lifters and whatnot, and they're, we're aggressive. We just all, Mm -hmm. by nature. So when something happens and when we're coming up to a bar, you know, we're, we're, we've trained ourselves to, in activities we do, you bottle up all that and you just expend it. And what happens when you punch somebody like that in the face? They expend it. You know? yeah. <laughs> what yeah. I needed to do is be able to, you got to keep your head. Channel when it. You punch yeah. in the face, you can't just go nuts because then you're just going to get punched in the face 10 more times. So you right. just got to readjust yourself and go. You got to be, you know lightheaded and roll with the punches you know it sounds funny but that's almost a skill to be able to have someone ring your bell and not lose your wits yeah and i had no idea how i was going to handle it and luckily i handled it well and it was like oh i need to get my hands up but uh yeah so it's it's things like that but i mean and oddly i kind of enjoy getting hit in the face but (laughs) well you know it's funny like there's a a phrase that like um in some martial arts, it's about training your character, and I think that that's sort of what they're saying there. You know, you you develop the discipline not to just become hysterical rager when you get rocked. You know, sometimes it might be a punch or a, you know, even if you wear armor like in kendo. I mean, somebody whacks you in the head with a, a wooden sword that's going to ring your bell. You know, and how how can you focus? It almost reminds me like the old days being a lifeguard and that sort of thing, where you just kind of snap into what I used to call lifeguard mode because it's like life or death. You know, and you got to focus. So it's not while everybody else goes hysterical, you know, the tendency is to be overwhelmed with sensory input and panic. And and instead you you don't. You know what I mean? And yet you need to channel some of that aggression at the same time. Yeah. And I mean, the same thing relates to powerlifting. I mean, I've seen it a 100 times where a dude comes out and he misses his opener. Mm -hmm. And now he's just Mm -hmm. wrecked. His whole meat's wrecked because that he can't get that out of his head. And, you know, that was a good example. I went to. My, I guess it was my last meet I did. I took 650 on squat and got crushed because I screwed up. You know, I it, it was a it was a technical error and 
I you have to learn to just erase that. That was yeah. bad. Okay, I fucked up. Move on. And I came back and killed it. Nice. You know, the next rep, it was totally. It's a skill. It's a skill. You yeah. have to. What happened just now, 15 tenths of a second later or whatever, you know, you have to forget that and move on. Okay, I fixed it. Let's go. Yeah, it's hard you to know? do that. It's really hard to do yeah. that. You know, it takes strength of character. Like I said, you know, develop well, that yeah. character. And in powerlifting, you're going to miss a lift. In boxing, you're going to get punched in the face. You know, if, if that gets to your head, you're in trouble. So that's why they both kind of transfer over to it teaches you that mental toughness to yeah. to push through after being shocked yeah and so, i don't i mean i've always just for me there's all these fighting sports out there and what led me to boxing was what i guess a lot of people hate about it now it's the sport of it you know it's a it, chess match it is and it's totally different it's not a street fight it's a hey we got rules here you got to go by the and it, it, I, I like that aspect of it and learning that new, uh, just all the skills involved. So, and that's another thing that goes into kind of the muscle and being slow. They see, people see the heavyweights and they see guys moving slow. The reason they're moving slow is because at any time they can get hit hard enough to end the fight. Yeah, so they're calculating every step yeah. rather than the middleweights who it's everything's fast because they don't have to worry as much about as much about getting hit as hard. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's 100 punches down the line that you get knocked out from all the punches. That's not exactly. right. Not a nuclear bomb in your face. Yeah, it's not yeah. a Mike Tyson uppercut, one thing, you're done. Yeah. Right, <laughs> so. right. You know, it blows me away that there's still so much resistance to, you know, maybe old school is not the right term, but, you know, like back in the 70s, basketball players, they were so soft-looking compared to guys now. They're all jacked, you know, and uh, it just it's amazing to me that boxers don't embrace – it seems like a natural thing that they would embrace the weights and not have that sort of old-school mentality that, you know, weights are going to make me thick and slow and heavy. I, I don't know. It's, it's, you're educating me. That's that's awesome. I don't know. Sometimes, Dal, I wonder if you haven't gravitated toward it because you're naturally powerful. It sounds like from your history, I mean, look how you're kicking ass in powerlifting, you know, because make no mistake, you, that's, you have impressive numbers. You know what I mean? So maybe it was a more natural thing for you to start grabbing the iron. I don't know, but I, I also know there's so much tradition in sport that sometimes it's frustrating, in, you know, to get people to do it a different way. I mean, the fibers that hypertrophy, those are the fast twitch fibers. Yeah. You know, you'd think it, we'd kind of catch up with this by now. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know I fought that when I lived in Thailand. I lived on Muay Thai camp, and, you know, one of their coaches was like, well, you need to get my guys lifting. And they're like, no, you know, not going to happen. That's amazing. Because yeah. I'm going to be slow, so I'm going to go out here and kick this banana tree and do 7,000 sit-ups and then run. And But, I mean, and they, they have amazing power, those guys. I mean, it was, it was frightening, the power they had. Yeah, yeah. But in the middle of my – the coach in me is like, yeah, but if I take your squat from 225 to 450, 405 just think of how much more you got i mean oh, you're breaking yeah. shins then yeah. so and that's 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 the hard part and i think that's where you're seeing the people that in fighting sports at least and really any sport i mean look at freaking baseball you can only swing a bat so fast but i mean take a mark mcguire and and put him on some some recuperatives and he's still <laughs> moving that ball as fast but he's knocking dingers you know yeah and that's a that's a sport that's based 100 percent on speed and power and I think you can build a lot of power without necessarily having enough volume that causes wild hypertrophy either, mm -hmm. you know, because, oh, yeah. you know, there are sports, I'm sure, like 
Uh, I was just talking to my buddy Bob about wrestling, and I'm sure boxing's the same thing. You don't necessarily want to hypertrophy up through the weight classes. You oh, know, yeah, you'd yeah. like to stay incredibly mm-hmm. strong and stunningly powerful. You know, and just limit the amount of volume. You can do some heavy work or some speed work, and not not put in the bodybuilder like volume to just be a hypertrophy animal. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, t- totally. I work with that. I mean, I've got one little wrestler in one state. He's 123 pounds. He powerless for me too, and he's one of the strongest 14 year olds I know. Right I mean, on. he's yep. hitting 315 for singles and deadlift at 123 pounds. Yeah, you know, yep. at 14 years old. And yeah, we don't spend a lot of time getting him jacked up. We just spend time, you know, making him strong and fast at his own size. And I mean, the same thing can be said. Boxing, like any other sport, like powerlifting, what everybody looks at is the heavy dudes. So when people go watch, when they think powerlifting, they think four hundred pound dude lifting a thousand pounds. Oh, totally. They don't yep. think hundred and eight pound girl, you know, lifting three times body weight. <clears throat> right. Know, which is only, only, you know, three thirty. But 330 at 109 is freaking impressive. Yeah, you know? insane. And that's the thing. So, yeah, yeah. I think a, a lot of it comes down to tradition of the sport, too. Change is so hard. Yes. It's, just, it's such an old sport, and it's been around for so long that the training's been around for so long. I mean, it's until you get guys like Joe Frazier and George Foreman and then the guys coming in now that are just strong people. That it's it kind of took the okay maybe maybe we can do this resistance thing and and make a fighter yeah and that I'm glad you brought up Foreman because you know I used to watch him a lot and like his knockout punches seemed like they took four and a half minutes to get there yeah <laughs> ones where he really knocked people out he'd throw some fast punches but then you see this thing coming from left field going two miles an hour and boom it just, <laughs> Uh, just amazing uh, uh, amount of power, and I don't know. He just knew how to time, uh, know when to throw that punch. But yeah, so I mean, I guess that goes back to fighting styles, though, and knowing what to rely on. You know, yeah, wasn't a fast guy that's gonna. He's not gonna throw a hundred jabs in a round. You know. Yeah. He's waiting for that one and and last it out. But yeah, and the strong the stronger you are, the harder the like you're gonna be able to carry that punch through like he does, mm-hmm. rather than it's gonna stop when I hit. You know, if I catch you in the ribs and I'm. You know, I can. I'm not all that strong. It's not really. Good. It's going to do damage, but it's not going to do damage like a guy that's strong throwing his hips into it and caving in your rib cage. Right. That, there's an answer to a question that I've had, and you know, uh, core work as far as boxing goes. I mean, it seems huge. Um, you know, all the, the abdominal work and stuff like that. I mean, are you talking? Is it a benefit to me how strong my core is from all the work I've done? At taking punches, I mean, I, I can see both ways. Like, I got more muscle to bruise up there if I get whacked. But at the same time, like, I'm sparring against Mark, which I mean, he would agree he's not the best boxer in the world. But he came in with the idea of, well, I'm gonna just unload on this guy's midsection and and put him down. And he's like knocking me with everything he has, and he's like, you didn't even flinch. So, <laughs> you know, of course, I can see if eight rounds later, if somebody keeps doing that to me, now I'm in trouble. But yeah. I mean, where does where does core training like that come into boxing? Aside from, of course, we need rotational power. Yeah. As, as far as as far as people forget that, like, it's not just hips that the hips transfer to that that hip power has to transfer up through the torso into the hand. So exactly. Of course we we need uh you know a strong core for that. But I mean, as far as taking a punch, is that part of all the you know abdominal work and things like that? Yeah, like I, it's it's really 
learning to keep it strong and then learning to breathe with a tight abdomen. That's tough. Because if, if, you know, you're in there throwing punches and you start to breathe in your stomach and then somebody catches you in the stomach, you got nothing. It doesn't matter how much muscle you have. It's not tight. Yeah. It's going to hurt. Yeah. It's really learning when you do ab work how to keep your breath in your chest and keep those short breaths and keeping everything tight in your stomach while staying loose everywhere else. Gotcha. That's actually, it's more more sports-specific training with, with abs than just doing, like, heavy crunches or leg lifts. I guess that's the other hard part that coming from powerlifting background is that everything I do is hold your breath. So yeah. we get sparring, and he's like, dude, breathe. You're turning purple. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're not breathing. Yeah. And it's learning to breathe and then throw these explosive, powerful moves. Whereas every other explosive, powerful move I do is with the Valsalva maneuver. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, Believe it or yeah. not, even on stage and bodybuilding, I, that's exactly what it feels like. It's for a very different reason, but you've you got to keep your abs tight. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're suffocating, man, because, you know, you're, you're out there flexing really hard for extended periods. You're dripping with sweat. And you can't relax. So, like, it's like what Dallas said. You almost breathe up out of your, like, sh- up out of your chest. You can't take a, oh, you know, this big, like, Buddha breath. It's just not going to work because you can't let your gut go. It's just funny. It's just really struck me when you were just saying that because it's it's exactly as, uh, how it felt to me, at least. Like, I was freaking suffocating out there because I couldn't let my abs go and take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's just funny. Cause well, that's like you can't do that a whole fight. That's knowing when when I need to be ready, and that's a lot of learning – uh, like you were talking earlier, when to do things without having to think about it. Yeah. Because you you know a punch is going to come to the stomach, tighten up, and, and breathe. Yeah. Rather than if you're tight that whole time, you're just going to get tired. So here's an interesting question. As far as people that want to spar and get into boxing, I mean, how much of their actual sparring time should be just literally going against somebody a lot better than them getting their ass kicked? You know, like most sports. I mean, like in powerlifting, the best, the worst thing you can do is be the strongest guy in your gym. Yeah. You know, you need to go, and the minute you're the strongest guy, you need to go over here and be around stronger people because you're going to get better. I mean, is that true in boxing, too? I mean, is there a point where it's just you need to take your licks to get better? Yeah, I got my ass kicked every day. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can see this already, and I'm I'm not a good boxer. I mean, I'm horrible, and I'm the first one to admit that because I've literally done it, like, six weeks mm-hmm. but i mean i know there's when i go against mark it's like i look at it not as like oh i'm i'm an excellent boxer it's purely conditioning work and i know at the same time if i'm going to get better i need to go get my ass kicked by you um yeah. <laughs> you know but so it's separating those two it's like okay this is just breath work and speed work you know and learning how to keep going for round after round after round yep but at, at some point i just need to get knocked the hell out or just beat on a lot. Yeah. Uh, and what they do is when, you know, I trained with Martin Foster, who uh, I got lucky. He would, he started training when he was three years old, knocked out Tommy Morrison back when they were both pro. They hit like a freight train. Mm-hmm. And what he'd do is that as I got better, it was, all right, we're going to go tire you out first. Yeah. And then bring you in here. And then you got to, you got to learn under distress. And it seemed like if I, and then I go in there and spar other people, and it's, it's basically like you can learn a little bit. You can learn defense against just a regular person. Mm-hmm. You can't learn offense because if if you th- like you throw a punch at me and I see you dropped your hands, I'm going to throw a punch at you and yes. land. 
Yeah, exactly. So it, that's where that comes into play. Yeah. That's like <laughs> the first time we sparred is I'm not gonna I'm not gonna punch you unless your hands are down. Yes. And yeah, you got hit quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and the fun thing was is you did what you just said that he did to you. It's like we did mitt work for forty five minutes, and he's like, "Okay, now we're gonna spar." It's like, "Oh, great! Now that I'm wore out, I get to throw punches with you." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, and that's when you're yeah. fresh, it's easy. Yeah, I mean that's that's you you want your training to be way harder than fight. <clears throat> No, I mean I think it's a good show. We're we're past an hour, so we better drop it there. But yeah, so we'll see. I go to the doctor Monday, and that's gonna hopefully reignite the whole boxing training. I I got to find out if I'm cleared to start rotating at the hip. That's why I haven't been doing it for mm-hmm. all the listeners mm-hmm. right now. Is basically I I was uh, not allowed to do any internal or external rotation on the hip because the it could just pop out. Right. So we're at the eight week point and I go in and get x rays and you know sit down and talk to him, say, Hey man, I'm ready to go. Uh can I start rotating the hip? Because the last thing I need is to be in there and throw a punch and my hip ends up on the wall. Oh uh, yeah, not good, dude. But um <laughs> you know, we'll see. I mean I deadlifted two forty five this week. I squatted a massive ninety five pounds for sets of five. Everything feels good. But right now at this point it's all mentally I'm not gonna lie, I'm 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 scared to death of Going into a squat or something like oh, that, right. and just having my hip fly out. Well, I think that's healthy, man. <laughs> you should be weirded out just a little bit, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's this. I'll, I'll tell you what. This is. I've been through two blown biceps. Is since my lifting career, and you know, my hip injury before was well before I was lifting. I was seven years old. But this is, is seven hundred times more frightening than like, oh, oops, okay, I hurt my bicep again. We're talking hip, you know. With my bicep, I came back fast. And the mental coming back from it mentally was much quicker. Within like eight weeks of both of those biceps, I was dead lifting seven hundred again. Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the hip, it's like, yeah, that's it's a bigger deal. I just couldn't imagine what it'd be like to just have your hip have that hip just pop out. No, no. <laughs> you know, be careful! Be careful! <laughs> I've seen it several times in the fire oh. department. And that's the one thing I don't want to have happen. Oh yeah, exactly. So. Um, yeah, so I've been doing lots of freaking airdyne work. So hopefully my conditioning is a little better. I've been in, doing intervals on that. I started pushing the sled, um, the jump rope. I just started this week, and I had no idea how that was going to be. But I guess I mean if you're doing it right, you're not really getting. Basically, I'm bouncing on my toes, so it's not that much in my hip. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, so we'll go from there, and hopefully give you guys some updates. And I'll either go get my ass kicked or kick somebody's ass at some point. So. <laughs> Well, take it easy when you start first start and get back to that, you know. Yeah. Right on. Thanks a lot, everybody. And thanks, Dal. Coming on. Hey, thank you. We will talk to everybody next week. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for.
There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.